This week on Blue 58, the playoffs are out of reach. Aaron Rodgers is done for the year, and the Vikings have locked up the NFC North. Merry Christmas. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink, excited to be with you here for episode number 61. It is a very full episode, so let's dive right in with this week's headlines. First and foremost, the Packers' loss to the Carolina Panthers, and as it turns out, a season-ending loss to the Carolina Panthers. This one, to me, seems like just about everybody's fault except for maybe Aaron Jones. What do we got to do to get Aaron Jones some carries? He had two carries for 43 yards on a single drive in the second quarter. Then it was almost two full quarters before he touched the ball again. I don't know what else you want a guy to do. What are you going to do if you're if you're producing like that on just two touches and then it goes almost half a game without you getting the ball again? I don't know how else you're supposed to help the Packers. Jones, I guess, doesn't really know either. I keep knocking into the microphone as we, oh, we're talking here. Off to a great start, much like the Packers. Outside of Aaron Jones, though, Aaron Rodgers, ugh. The defense, ugh. I I don't know if you can get much more disappointing than what we saw from Rodgers, and I'm sure Rodgers would be the first person to tell you that it was a disappointing performance, so it's not like we're reinventing the wheel here uh, talking about that. Uh, He was not very happy with it. He said it was not the fairy tale ending that he was hoping for, the team was hoping for, Everything like that. Of course it wasn't. This is not what we saw happening months and months ago when he went down uh, against the Minnesota Vikings. That said, I was expecting a little bit better out of him than three interceptions, all three of which came on really badly thrown balls. It's tempting to out-and-out blame the defense for this game, I think, but the blame really rests on Rodgers. This was a very winnable game, even with the defense giving up 31 points And had the Packers not turned the ball over three times and then a fourth on what ends up being the deciding drive of the game, this is very, very winnable. And at least it goes another week before the Packers um, have to shut everything down and start making plans for January. Will this loss result in any big changes? I think you're, you're... you're hoping for too much if uh, if you think it's going to result in any major, major changes for the Packers. Short term, yes, we've obviously got some changes going on. Aaron Rodgers is headed to injured reserve, and we'll talk about that in a second. But long term, I think, by and large, things are going to stay mostly the same. Mike McCarthy is still going to be the coach for the foreseeable future. Ted Thompson is still going to be the general manager. Beyond that, things are a little bit more iffy, but I don't think you're going to get very many big sweeping changes. So we'll see. Once we get towards the actual offseason, I think there are some things that the Packers can do. We'll get to that a little bit later. But I, I think if you're hoping for real big uh, systemic changes, just it's it's not going to happen. Broadcast team, of course, are our favorites, Joe Buck and Troy Aikman this past Sunday. And I say favorites a little bit facetious, facetiously, of course. Uh, the guys in full form um, just an odd game, not a really no real spectacular mess ups, except for, for one from Aikman that we'll talk about here in a second, but otherwise just fairly bland. Um, and it, I guess it was kind of a, a pretty bland game. It was pretty sloppy. It felt like the, the Panthers had some more opportunities to put it away. And that kind of maybe translated to the broadcast booth a little bit. Did think it was funny early on. Troy Aikman had some interesting thoughts about the Packers fullback situation. Well, they don't have a true fullback. And so they've got to use some of these tight ends at times to get in there. Aaron Ripkowski, he's labeled as a fullback, but probably one of those more hybrid type players. 
A hybrid between a fullback and a what, exactly? He's not a running back. He barely ever touches the ball. He's barely on the field often enough to be called anything on offense. If he's not a fullback, who is a fullback? He's a 250-something pound guy named Ripkowski. Of course he's a fullback. It doesn't get much more true to being a fullback than that. Then, uh, in the second quarter, Panthers are driving. Um, They go to commercial break for a timeout of some sort. And uh, they come back, and, and Joe Buck has to fill time. And all he can come up with to fill time is... Well, your Cam Newton and the Panthers taking on the Packers with Aaron Rodgers at the controls. You get down here, you got to think seven. So this is the situation where Buck just has to reset the scene. And he chooses to do it in the absolute blandest way possible. Why? Of course it's their goal to get seven points. Thank you, Joe Buck, for pointing that out. People would hammer John Madden for stuff like this all the time, you know, always saying things that seemed really, really obvious. Buck does the same thing all the time. He uses filler phrases just like this on a week-in, week-out basis when it doesn't have to be that way. Buck models himself after guys like Pat Summerall who get by, who got by, rest in peace, Pat Summerall, I guess, on using an economy of words, not talking very much, just the bare minimum, the essentials. Um, Buck will do that in his play-by-play as well, using the bare minimum to just communicate what's going on about the plays. That's fine, but that means that when you do decide to talk, you better have something to say. And too often, Buck falls into just, well, we got to say something, so I'll just point out an obvious thing. Speaking of obvious things, one thing was very obvious about the broadcast on Sunday. We had a narrative going in that we decided about pretty early on. That's some of the rust that you can expect. I've also seen a lot of rust. He has been rusty. But it was more rust from Rodgers. No matter what Aaron Rodgers did on Sunday, Buck and Aikman were going to be talking about rust. The very first call you heard in that compilation there came on the third No, fourth offensive play of the game for the Packers. And they had already decided that you could see that Aaron Rodgers was rusty. How do you know that? How do you know a guy is rusty? I guess you could say, well, maybe he's missing a couple throws that he would normally make. But how do you know that's because of rust? How do you know he's not just off to a slow start? As it went on, sure, he did look rusty. And it did look like he he was making throws that a guy who had been playing for the past two months probably wouldn't be making just because he you know, out of rhythm, not used to being on the field facing down a pass rusher or whatever, what have you. But it was very clear that they came into the game thinking Aaron Rodgers might be rusty and we got to be prepared to talk about it. And boy, were they ready to talk about it. Just rust, rust, rust. I had four examples there. There were probably more that I missed in that game. Uh, And I, I was trying to keep track of them all just because I knew that was something they were going to try to talk about during the game on Sunday. And lo and behold, they did. One more thing about the Panthers game, and we'll move on. Just before I started recording uh, for this episode, news broke that Thomas Davis has had his suspension uh, reduced from two games for that vicious hit on Devontae Adams to one. I don't know if you can fully take hits like that out of the game. But I think if you're going to try you have to be willing to penalize guys who do these sorts of things in a meaningful way. One game for a playoff team that's largely determined its playoff destiny, 
it doesn't seem like a real big deal. And I know the Panthers still have some things up in the air, but they're, they're pretty much are where they, where they're going to be at this point, uh, especially with the Falcons uh, doing some work this, this past week. But it doesn't seem like this is costing Davis or the Panthers anything other than one game jack check for, for, or for Davis. I, you know, I'm not going to play the, you know, I played card, so I know some about this and, you know, let's, let's be honest about my football experience. It's one year of NAIA division three football or division. It's the divisions in NAIA are a little bit weird, but one of the smaller divisions of NAIA football, but there is always going to be some of this in the game. That's part of the appeal of it. And if there's an opportunity to light somebody up, even in that legal gray area, more often than not, guys are going to take that. And I, I don't think that's something that you can just legislate out of the game unless you're willing to give some serious consequences. Davis is not facing serious consequences after the fact, and he sure didn't face any consequences during the game. While Adams is off in the locker room being examined for a concussion, taking the Packers' best offensive playmaker off the field outside of Aaron Rodgers, Davis is still out there contributing for the Panthers. It seems like there's an obvious fix here. If you knock somebody out of the game on an obviously illegal hit, and it was illegal because it was flagged, why should you be able to stay in the game? That seems like an obvious loophole to close, and it would be interesting to see the NFL take that up. I think we are going to see some stuff done with a targeting-style rule during the offseason, uh, the NFL seems pretty hot to trot to to address it. And like I said, I'm not sure this is something you're ever going to take completely out of the game. But if you say that it is, you've got to do something to actually penalize the guys who do the bad things. Imagine it this way. Say you wanted to criminalize drunk driving in your state. Say you're from the state of Wisconsin, and you're only the you're the only state in the United States where it's not a a criminal offense on on your first offense. It's just a misdemeanor. Say that you wanted to really crack down on drunk driving, so that you say all these nice things, and then you decide, well, we're we're still going to keep all the rules as far as people keeping their cars and their licenses about the same. Well, you're not going to change anything at all if you don't institute some penalties, and I think you see that in states where the, the penalties for things like drunk driving are more lenient, things don't change. Imagine that. The NFL is dealing with the same thing. They want to change things, but they're not willing to do anything to actually change it. Speaking of changes, let's, uh, let's move on to headline number two here. Aaron Rodgers moved to injured reserve for the second time this season. This has been kind of an interesting feature of the the new rules about injured reserve over the past couple of years. Guys can actually go on injured reserve multiple times in a single year. Aaron Rodgers being moved to injured reserve earlier today. The Packers have re-signed Joe Callahan to take his place. Obviously, this is a, a direct result of the Packers being eliminated from the playoff hunt. I think if if there was any chance the Packers could still make the playoffs, Aaron Rodgers would still be playing. Also, I think if there was if Rodgers was fully healthy, even if the Packers were eliminated, he would be playing. Um, I think this is purely an injury concern thing. There's no reason to risk him re-injuring that shoulder uh, if they don't have to. Uh, and since these games don't really count for anything other than pride, they're just not going to. I don't think we're going to see any of Joe Callahan this week. 
it would be interesting to do so because I think it would be fun to see people get a firsthand look at exactly what the Packers are dealing with at the quarterback position, especially if it turns out that Callahan just flat out can't play against starting caliber NFL defenses. And I kind of think that would probably be the case. It would be an eye-opening experience for sure, one way or another, because maybe Joe Callahan just comes up and lights up the Vikings defense and uh, we feel really stupid for sticking with Brett Hundley this long. I don't think that would have happened though. So probably better for Joe Callahan's health that he not play as well, especially against the, the Vikings. Third headline, let's move right along to our third and final piece. Um, this one, a bit of a rehash, but I think this is worth your time because it's going to be a big-time off-season topic. Do the Packers fire Dom Capers? Uh, we've posted a transcription of the episode we did about five weeks ago now, six weeks ago now, because it was episode 55, uh, of our case for firing Dom Capers. I would like to reiterate a couple points from that case that we made. Um, this is not a situation where we're firing Dom Capers because he's been bad for a long, long, long time. I think if you look at how the Packers defense has actually performed over the last five, six, seven years, the Packers have actually had quite a few of what we could consider Super Bowl caliber defenses. Uh, years like 2012, uh, they're real solid Um Except for that game against Colin Kaepernick, they were an excellent defense. And, you know, had they actually executed a little bit better on offense, it may not have mattered that much. That game, don't you forget, was tied 24-24 with 8-25 in the third quarter until Jeremy Ross fumbled inside the Packers' 10-yard line and things went downhill from there. Couple other seasons where the defense was actually very good, 2014. Not quite even as good as 2012, but certainly enough to get the Packers close to a Super Bowl. And if Aaron Rodgers doesn't have a bad game on the road in Seattle, into the Super Bowl. 2015 as well, the year, as I dubbed it, of the Aaron Rodgers swoon, uh, the Packers defense again, very, very solid. Um, and were it not for a coin flip going against the Packers uh, to start the overtime period, they would have had a very good shot at winning that game, which they honestly had no business being in because they were so decimated on offense uh, by injuries there. Um, they had the, I, I always laugh at this every time I go back and look at it, but the, the Packers receivers on that final play in regulation where Aaron Rodgers completes the Hail Mary, the four guys they sent out in the pattern were Jeff Janis, Jared Aberderis, James Jones, and Richard Rodgers. There are no NFL starters in that group two years later. James Jones got cut by the Raiders because they didn't need him you know, at the start of that season. Uh, they, he was out of work. He was not considered an NFL prospect by at least one team, and the Packers had to scoop him up because Jordy Nelson tore up his knee uh, in Pittsburgh. All that to say, for much of the, the Fire Capers movement to this point, Dom Capers has really not been the problem. This year, I think it's time for a change just because not a lot of different things are, are happening with the Packers. Uh, they, they are not seeing different results. I think it's probably time for just some fresh eyes on this, this situation and maybe something different will happen. Also, Dom Capers is getting up there. He can't coach forever anyway. It might be time to just try something new and see what happens. Whether that's an internal hire, an external hire, whatever, who knows? But uh, I think this is this is something the Packers really have to have to take a look at. 
Before we dive into our main topic for today, I wanted to point your attention towards a couple new things we have in the Power Sweep Teespring store. Two new t-shirt designs. The first one I actually talked about a, a couple weeks ago. We're calling it the Championships. Uh, it helps commemorate Super Bowls 1, 2, 31, and 45. Just four of the Packers' 13 NFL championships, but they're the only ones memorialized with Roman numerals, so they look the best on a shirt. That's a real good-looking one. Then, last week, Gary threw together this design we're calling the quarterback. Uh, It it has the signature, I guess, Aaron Rodgers fist bump, or fist pump, uh, with the Power Sweep logo on the front. It looks fantastic. Maybe we'll instill a little confidence in yourself as you go into this new year of 2018 and into a long, dark Packers offseason. They look good. These shirts are all very comfortable, and we think they're a pretty good price. Also, should always mention, uh, you can get 25% off each and every order from Teespring if you support us on Patreon.com as well. You can find that at Patreon.com slash ThePowerSweep, and a link to our Teespring store at ThePowerSweep.com right up there at the top of the page. Give that a look. Unfortunately, I don't think we could get you these shirts by Christmas if you order this week, but I still think they're worth having. And after all, maybe you're not going to get that Christmas present you really, really wanted. Why not treat yourself instead? I think that's a good way of living life. Maybe you will too. Blue 58, something is obviously wrong with the Packers because there's going to be something happening this year that hasn't happened in almost a decade. The Packers are not going to the playoffs. I'm sorry if that was a spoiler to you, but uh, it's not happening. The Packers will not be in the postseason this year for the first time since 2008. Obviously, some things went wrong, and uh, the Packers may have to make some changes if they're hoping to get back to the postseason and ultimately to the Super Bowl. And I think there are some fixable things here, but we should first take a look at some things that are not going to happen. I mentioned this up at the top of the show. Ted Thompson is not getting fired. Mike McCarthy is not getting fired. Zero chance of either of those things happening. They're just not. They're under contract, and there's no real reason to make that change, especially if you went an entire season or most of a season without your very best player. I know you can criticize Mike McCarthy for, yeah, they should probably have done better. Maybe they should have. They probably should have. But one season does not a firing make, especially in the case of a head coach who has been, uh, to use his words, highly successful. The same goes for Thompson. He's been highly successful for the duration of his career in Green Bay. Are there legitimate criticisms of Ted Thompson in the way he does business? Of course. And that is the the direction I would like to go with the, the remainder of the time that we have together today. I think the main changes the Packers have to make as they head into this offseason, head into this postseason where for the first time in a long time they are not going to be in the playoffs, they have to make some philosophical changes. I've been thinking about this because I've been reading an interesting book recently by a guy you may have heard of. His name is Ron Wolf, the former general manager of the Packers. Yes, that Ron Wolf. He has actually written a book. Uh, I have not heard a lot about this book prior to picking it up from Amazon. Um, But it's interesting because it talks a lot about Wolf's philosophy as a business leader 
specifically as a football executive, even more specifically as a football executive in charge of running the Green Bay Packers. The book is called The Packer Way, Nine Stepping Stones to Building a Winning Organization. The Packer Way, the name of the book. You can get it on Amazon for real cheap. And I got real lucky. The copy I picked up is actually, wouldn't you know it, autographed by Ron Wolf. Gary and I were talking about how funny it would be to uh, have some sort of fun inscription in here. But alas, there was no inscription to the recipient of this autograph, merely signed by Ron Wolf himself. Uh, it just happened to be the cheapest Amazon copy that I could buy. So that was that was pretty good. But there are all sorts of interesting nuggets in here because he's talking about um, principles of building an organization. These are the sort of books that you see a lot from former sports people who want to transition into something like business leadership or motivational speaking. They'll write something that's ostensibly not about football, but that is their area of expertise. So they'll draw on that a lot and, uh, and use examples that, that, come from their world. So this has um, the nine stepping stones that he talks about are things like uh, identify what needs to be fixed and hire the best before anyone else does. Uh, use the C, the four C's to measure performance, so on and so forth. And he illustrates a lot of these points um, with anecdotes from his time with the Packers. Currently, I'm in chapter number three, and something interesting stuck out from this chapter and I think it applies to the Packers' current situation. This title, this chapter is titled, Develop an Obsession with Winning Today. This paragraph jumped out to me, and see if you can see why. From page 72 and 73 of the Packer Way. I see the cautious approach all the time in the NFL. Teams unwilling or fearful of making trades, of cutting players, of doing anything outside the conservative but accepted norms of well-established personnel guidelines that have grown up over the years. Clubs hide behind the lame lament that, quote, we build through the draft, end quote, so they won't be revealed for what they are, afraid to be good. There's something inside me that couldn't tolerate being 500. If there are franchises that have done nothing other than the ordinary for years, even when faced with still another 500 or worse season. End quote. That from The Packer Way by Ron Wolf, former general manager of the Green Bay Packers. I think if you are a regular reader of the Power Sweep and listener of Blue 58, you would be surprised to hear me say something like the Packers are, are ordinary or that they're underachieving just because they've gone to the playoffs and haven't advanced deeply. And you would be right. I'm not here to make an argument like that. I, I, I hate that line of thinking, and I think it is uh, plainly in denial of the facts. The, the fact that people are so upset about the Packers not making the playoffs uh, for the first time since 2008 says a lot about the level of success that they have achieved. I mean, how mad can you get about the Packers underachieving and then still be mad when they don't make the playoffs? Which is it? Are they underachieving or uh, when they make the playoffs or when they don't make the playoffs? Which is it? But... I think Wolf is on to a good point here. I think teams get so used to what they do and what they do well sometimes even that they're afraid or resistant of new ideas or new ways of doing things. And the Packers, I think, by and large, have been somewhat resistant to new ways of doing things. Uh, for years and years and years, we've asked Ted Thompson to do things like signing veteran free agents, um, 
maybe me being a little bit more aggressive in the draft, uh, maybe being a little bit more aggressive in the trade market, especially when there's guys available who want to come to Green Bay, both as free agents and as potential trade targets. I think the Packers can't be afraid to be good and they can't be afraid to be bold this offseason, their first uh, in which they will be coming off a non-playoff season in quite some time. So what does that mean? What does that mean for the Packers to not be afraid to be good? I've got three possible options here for the Packers uh, as they head into this offseason. And uh, I'm not going to say that these are going to turn things around instantly or even at all, but I think they're worth considering. The first is one that we've talked about already. The Packers have to not be afraid to fire Dom Capers. For much of his tenure in Green Bay, he has been better than good, close to great. The Packers have had some real good defenses under Dom Capers, more than most people would even, I think, be ready to admit. Uh, They've just been... They've been good for a lot of the times that he's been the defensive coordinator. But it seems to me like things have gotten a little bit stale. And if backers agree with me on that, then I hope they do, they can't be afraid to make a change. You can't be afraid to make a change, even if it's uncomfortable, even if it involves finding a new defensive coordinator for the first time since 2008. Secondly, the Packers can't be afraid to pursue free agents. This, to me, I think is going to be an interesting storyline to follow this offseason because the Packers were aggressive in free agency. They even signed a lot of those kind of second-tier free agent guys that we've always asked for in the past. Ricky Jean-Francois, Quentin Dial, uh, Ahmad Brooks, Lance Kendricks, even Devon House. Those are all guys that are are kind of the stopgap veterans. They're not the undrafted free agent types that you first have to teach how to play NFL football and then hope they can actually be good enough to play NFL football. These are guys that know how to handle their business at the NFL level and can contribute right away. They might not be world changers, but they're at least going to be solid and they'll at least plug some gaps. Quentin Dial has been my absolute poster boy for that year. He's been good, but not great, But the Packers have never needed him to be great, and he's been worth every penny they've paid him. Great pickup, great player for depth, and he's actually offset a little bit of the loss of Montrevious Adams, who you would think would be a contributor as a third-round pick and really hasn't done much at all. So the Packers can't be afraid to keep doing that, and I hope they're not, and I hope they find a way to to bring in some more of those veteran guys who have been um, at least serviceable. They can't be afraid of what happened with Uh, Martellus Bennett, just because it happened, uh, sometimes that does happen. You know, sometimes you draft guys and they turn out to not be very good either. uh, But just because you can hide behind that that phrase that we draft and develop, it seems like you're you're doing something that that means something that's meaningful. You can't, uh, there is no branding like that for signing free agents other than, oh, we sign free agents. Um, So you can't be afraid to to try those new things just because they, they don't sound like a like a system, like the process, quote-unquote. Finally, I think the third thing for the Packers is they have to, to draft boldly. Um, I feel bad saying this, but I, I feel like lately I've started to swing a little bit more towards wondering if they, they should have taken T.J. Watt in the first draft or first round of the draft. I think uh, this spring was a good example of the Packers identifying an obvious need but not being willing to deviate from a plan that allows them to address that need. Um, the Packers needed help at cornerback in the draft. They had to draft a corner. They really couldn't get around that any way you slice it. But 
it seems like they they could have used a pass rusher as well. And Watt has been very was very well regarded leading up to the draft, and 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 has continued to be since then. I, I don't know if he's a a generational world changing prospect like some people ha- uh, have painted him to be, but the Packers have needed pass rush help and depth for a long time, and it can't be this sort of situation where you you've got to draft a guy who's a who's a fit for a need as opposed to just a, a guy who's really really good. Um, and I don't know if you can paint with that broad of a brush and say that other draft picks have been quite like that either. Uh, but they've they've got to be bold in the draft and, and get some guys that that might not fit the profile exactly, but are are football players. I think you you saw a little bit of that with with the running back position this past draft. The Packers realized they needed a, a bunch of running backs, and they got some good ones. Um, the jury's still out on Devontae Mays, but Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones, they certainly both can play. They've We've seen it from both of them putting up big games throughout the, the course of this year. That's a pretty bold approach, drafting three running backs, and I think that has to continue to be the Packers' guiding light. I know those are not three big, world-changing ideas, but it's going to be a philosophical system that gets the Packers to where they need to be. It's going to be changes in things that they've done in the past, changes to the character or, or operating system of of guys who have done things a particular way for a long time. Uh, that starts with Ted Thompson. That includes Mike McCarthy. And that includes whoever is running the defense for the Packers. They have to be willing to change uh, when something isn't working. Uh, and they have to get obsessed with this idea of winning today, like Ron Wolf said in that book. Highly recommend this book, by the way. Um, it's interesting to read Wolf's insights and hear about some of his thought process before he came to Green Bay as well. Uh, so if you like the, the Packers history aspect, I would definitely check that out. While I've got you here, I wanted to, to run some stuff by you uh, as we approach the end of 2017 together, um, I guess just as people and as the Power Sweep and Blue 58 as well. This year, to date, uh, as I'm recording this with just about 10 days or so left in 2017, thepowersweep.com has had more than 90,000 unique visitors. Those visitors have come from 138 different countries. Over the course of the year, we've had about 10,000 podcast downloads or so. Uh, We have eight contributors on Patreon. That is almost all the way to our goal of 11 uh, for our Patreon drive. And we have sold more t-shirts, to be honest, than I ever imagined that we would sell. I thought we would be lucky to get three, and that includes uh, me and Gary and my mom, who I knew would buy one. So um, we have sold more t-shirts than that, which has been a, a, a wild success, I think. I bring these numbers up not to toot our own horn, but because I want to say thank you to you, our readers and our listeners. You have made this entire thing possible and a success. We would not still be doing this a year, almost a year and a half into the power sweep, if not for you. This entire thing has been a success beyond what I ever imagined was possible. You know the story, and especially if you listen to our appearance with the the UK Packers. Um, I started writing about the Packers purely for fun, and uh, I didn't know if anybody was ever going to read it. Well, a whole heck of a lot of people have read the Power Sweep this year, and that's been an astonishing surprise to me, and it's been a lot of excitement. It's been a, a joy to me uh, to to see people reading and interacting and, you know, reaching out. Uh, We've had readers from Switzerland and Sweden, uh, 
all over the United States reach out and, and just send us messages of encouragement and, and stuff like that. That's been phenomenal. And uh, it, it gives me a lot of encouragement heading into 2018 that it's going to be an even better year. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for everything that you've done for the Power Sweep. I hope we continue to produce things that are of value to you. And I hope you continue to come back and read the things that we're doing at thepowersweep.com and listen to what we're doing at Blue 58 because it, it sure means a lot to me that you are willing to do that. And I hope we, like I said, continue to do things that are of value to you. We may be off next week. I'm not sure yet. We're going to be traveling. My wife and I are going up to God's country in Wisconsin and uh, just going to be there next Tuesday. I am probably going to get something up. It's probably going to be a little bit different of an episode than usual, though. Um, so may so keep an eye out for that. Um, if we get something up at all, it's going to be not quite this version of Blue 58, but um, just keep a heads up for that. I hope you have a, a tremendous Christmas, and that's going to be about what I got for you this week as we transition into the clothing into the closing so smoothly. Great job, John. Excellent stuff. You can find us, if you choose to do so, at thepowersweep.com. We are also active on Facebook and Twitter. We always enjoy hearing and reading and seeing your, your feedback, your comments on both of those very excellent websites. So keep them coming. Also feel free to reach out via email at thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. I love talking with everybody that I can via email. It's fun to hear and read your thoughts. If you would like to support us, the easiest and probably best way to do it is to leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, tell us your thoughts about the show and uh, point others in our direction as well. If you want to take the next step, you can support us at patreon.com slash thepowersweep for as little as $1 a month. And you get everything that every other Patreon supporter gets if you're willing to just throw $1 our way. You can also find our excellent t-shirts design, each and every one of them, by Gary Zillaby at uh, our Teespring site. You can find the link to that at thepowersweep.com as well. It says shop at the top of the page there. Give that a look if you would. We do love to hear from you. Any feedback you give us helps us make Blue 58 and the Power Sweep better each and every week, and it helps all of us become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I am John Meerdink. We will see you next week, maybe on Blue 58. You're still here?
It's over. Go home. Go.